Welcome to SkyCast episode 22, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing season 5, episode 8, How We Get to Peace. So, how are we feeling today? Eh, it was alright. On this glorious day. It was, it was fine, you it know. It was fine. Nothing really that exciting happened. It was, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Liar! <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, a, I, I'm having a hard time believing all of the things that we got in this episode. I feel like it was like a gift-wrapped episode love letter to the fans. Mm-hmm. And I loved all of it. I loved all of it. Great character moments. Great plot developments. Great plot great developments. Great plot developments. This is going to be another Bellark Shipper episode. Yeah, although I think we won't really get into that until the very end. Not until the very, very end. I mean, obviously, we're all very excited about the last scene, um, <laughs> but there was a lot of stuff to unpack mm-hmm. before we get there. So if that's annoying to you, you can just stop listening at that point. If that's annoying to you, why are you listening to us? Why are you us? still listening to us? <laughs> um, real quick, up at the top, I wanted to mention that we got another great email from listener Iman, um, all the way from Paris, France. Uh, she wrote into skycastcrew at gmail.com um, about this last scene of the episode. It was so good, in fact, uh, that we're going to save some of her insights and, and read some of them when we get to that part later on. Um, so if you guys ever want to write in and let us know what you think of anything or if you want to argue with us, we like to argue <laughs> um, in, in a nice, constructive way, uh, please do um, email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. Um, and also, again, before we dive in, it's just a quick reminder that, you know, Please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other fans of The 100 find us, uh, spread the love. Uh, so please go and take a quick moment and rate and review us. And with that, we will just dive straight into the recap. Yes, we will. Uh, we pick up right where we left off, with Clark trying to negotiate a deal with Dioza to share the valley with one crew. Dioza suggests killing Octavia, but Bellamy is obviously not down with this plan, and they can't tell Octavia about the cameras, because as soon as she finds out, one crew will march off to war. Um, so at the end of last episode, when Clark says that they had to uh, take out Octavia, do you think that she meant at that point kill her? Or was Clark really focused on getting her out of power? Because they jump right to killing her. Yeah, I scene. didn't get the impression she meant killing her. I felt like she meant take her out. I did too. Killing um, if necessary. But that wasn't like, like a first go-to. Yeah, Clark seems pretty down with it. Which I get, because, you know, mess with my child and... You're dead to me. Oh, yeah. No, there's several <laughs> moments in this episode where she's like, why don't we just kill Octavia? And Bellamy's like, we're not killing her. Um, no, Clark is, is down. She's she's done. I did really like this callback when Clark begs Bellamy, tell me what else to do. Like, do you have a better idea? I'm open to a suggestion. It's a great callback to season two in Mount Weather when Clark asks him, you know, for a better idea, anything rather than killing all of these innocent people inside you know I I appreciate that she's like constantly looking for feedback and and advice from other people you know she's she's not a um you know control crazy person she just always happens to be the one who comes up with the best ideas yeah and I mean she does have the most brilliant plans but I think it also just goes to show how 
great of a partnership Clark and Bellamy have because they tend to make each other better, you know? Yeah. They they feed into each other's plans and make them stronger and make them more likely to succeed. Um, maybe not in this episode, but but usually when they're on the same page. Yeah, usually. <laughs> um, I also wanted to po- uh, point out that even though this takes place just moments after the last episode concluded, we see like a, a very significant tonal shift in the way they're writing Clark and Bellamy in this episode. They're not on the same page, as you just said, but they're they're working up towards the collaboration, I think. They're definitely working together or at least including each other and talking to each other in a way that wasn't wasn't as apparent um, in previous episodes. And I think that is a signifier for what is to come in the rest of this episode. So the writers really consciously sort of positioned them in this way just to signify, you know, where we're at totally with the two of them. Yeah, baby steps. Baby <laughs> steps. Bellamy wants to stick with their original plan to go get their friends, but Clark says they can't, not now that Octavia has made Maddie her second. Monty wants to stop the war by using his algae, saying that Cooper has agreed to meet him about it, but Harper reminds him that Cooper is worse than Octavia, and the first batch of Monty's algae put Murphy in a coma for a week. So, first time I think we've ever seen Harper, like, stand up to and disagree vehemently with Monty here. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, like, the first bit of substantial dialogue we've gotten from her in, like, five Five episodes. episodes. Uh, She had a little backbone here. I wouldn't say that I'm, like, thrilled with this. It was fine. Um, It's sad that, like, we're, like, basically, like, begging for scraps here. But, you know, (laughs) just wanted to call it out since we're, like, constantly ragging on her. Harper had a moment. Positive moment. Mm -hmm. It It was was nice. It was nice. It was nice. Yeah. Um... When Space Crew joked about Monty's algae almost killing them, though, in earlier episodes, I guess I didn't really think that they or think that they meant it, um, like literally. Yeah, no, <laughs> I had no idea that this was like they put them in a coma. I thought they were saying like it was real gross, right? <laughs> right, like maybe vomiting. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but no, it it like took them out. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a uh, real strong, <laughs> and it devastates me a little bit too. Just that. We, I mean, like, I'm sure that Murphy probably volunteered yeah. to uh, to, to take the it. first, yeah, taste, um, which is a very Murphy thing to do, especially if he's, you know, in space with no other skills. I think him trying to, like, be useful, useful. in that way yeah. or sacrifice in that way. And also, like, just thinking if any of, you know, I'm, I'm the, u- like most, the most expendable, I'm the most expendable yeah. person here, so I might as well. It just sort of speaks to his low self-esteem issues that he's got although I also think it speaks to how much he's grown since season one because he is the cockroach or he's you know we even hear it in this episode I think in some way um but like kind of volunteering and maybe dying for his friends to save the rest of his friends and to save the woman he loves it's very altruistic oh Murphy we'll get to him soon Before they get the chance to figure out a plan, Octavia comes in. Octavia sees that they now have access to the cameras, but they have to run a loop before they can march off without the enemy seeing them. Once that's done, they're free to leave for the valley with the worms in tow. So was it just a coincidence that Octavia came in right at this moment? Yeah. Because she came in with, like, all of her people. No, I think it was a coincidence. You think so? Yeah, I don't don't think at this point she is suspicious well I mean I think she's suspicious of them but not to the point where she like knows that they're gonna betray her 
It just felt like a very convenient It was. It was really dramatic, but Octavia is dramatic, and I, I think more than anything, it was It was just like a good entrance for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't think we need to read too much into it. Just I think like we, keeping the plot moving? Yeah. I, I, I see what you're saying, but I think... I think this was just like the writers being like, oh, it would be really, really dramatic if Octavia <laughs> walked in with like everyone. <laughs> because if they are going to take her out, it's a lot easier to do if there's one verse five. For, yeah. Um, than having her with all of her entourage. So I think just for plot purposes, like they had to have her surrounded by people. Yeah. Um. Also, Octavia's praise, you know, well done, Monty, at the end of this. You know, it has like the opposite of the desired effect here you know he whatever guilt that he was beginning to feel is now like compounded by the fact that Octavia sees this plan and is now going to like enforce all of all of the things that she was planning on doing with him with his participation and I think we see this guilt play out throughout the rest of the episode yeah plus Octavia's praise has the opposite desired effect of being scary as hell <laughs> right no yeah it's, there's nothing like warm or affectionate yeah. in it it's it's purely strategical on the Allegius ship Kane is brought in to see Dioza informing her that he's off to map out a settlement when Dioza tends to a sick prisoner Kane sees war strategies and a list of names in her notebook Dioza tells Kane that Clark may try to kill Octavia and Kane worries that Clark will get killed Dioza agrees that's a possibility, but if she succeeds, Dioza will share the valley with one crew. Um, so I think it's interesting to note here, first of all, that Kane still doesn't have free reign of the valley. Like, Dioza still kind of wants to keep him under her thumb. So she doesn't fully trust him yet. No, no. I think she likes him. She enjoys his company. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think she knows that he's not 100% trustworthy just because of where he came from and his allegiances to Abby. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what I would do. Um, and again, we see Dioza here expressing genuine concern over these criminals. Um, it's It proves once again how complicated her relationship is with them. I mean, sometimes we see her really disdain them and sort of resent sort of her attachment to them. And then other times we see her really expressing this like emotional affection for them um and it just points to how complicated she is I mean she's just a really well-rounded character yeah I mean we talked a couple of episodes ago I think about her maybe abandoning the prisoners once you know she had one crew that's clearly not happening and with what we got from um Zeke uh last episode when he talked about how much Gioza cares about the people um I think this is just really adding to my obsession with her. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think she's wonderful in pretty much every yeah, way. Yeah, she's a really likable person. Yeah, she's she a very likable antagonist. Very likable. <laughs> Uh, also, Kane's lack of faith in Clark uh, makes me kind of feel like he's never met her. Um, although I did watch the rest of the episode. She doesn't get away with it. But I think Clark's backstory should like lend her a little bit of credit like when girl wants to kill someone girl usually kills someone <laughs> yeah I mean I think it speaks to two things one Kane should not be underestimating Clark at this point um but also I think maybe he knows that Clark might be underestimating Octavia um and knowing what he knows of Octavia living with her in the la- bunker for the last five years maybe he's just thinks that the playing field has been leveled off a little bit more maybe yeah I mean she is real scary <laughs> yeah she is really scary um it was also interesting to see that Dioza is a little surprised 
that Kane is still angry with her over the pills. Um, and I like I like that she seems hurt by this. Like it's it almost feels like this decision to let one crew share the valley. Although I know that her intentions are good and they come from a like a place within Dioza where I, I genuinely think she wants to share the valley. But I feel like the 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 way she revealed or shared this piece of information with Kane was almost like a olive branch, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I don't think that it was dependent on Kane in any way, but I think that she was trying to use it to, like, sort of be like, look, I'm a, I'm a good person. Like I'm me a again. Benevolent leader. Yeah. Um, and Kane is just, like, not giving her credit for being, like, a decent human. He's like, that's nice, but I'm still <laughs> mad at you. <laughs> um, side note here, it's really sweet to me that Dioza's like doodling baby names in her war notebook. <laughs> yeah, as if I didn't like her enough already. <laughs> like, let's just make her like really super sweet and adorable yeah. with these babies' names. Oh my god, it was really cute. Murphy's voice comes over the radio asking for Dioza, and when she answers, he says they have McCreary and will trade him for Raven. Dioza asks Kane if Murphy would follow through on that threat, and Kane thinks he probably would, so she realizes that if McCreary dies, his people will finally become her people. Dioza refuses to trade. Uh, so cold as ice. I love how the show sets up an issue like this and immediately kind of flips it on its head and makes it inconsequential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really like, cool. We thought this was going to be a plot point. It's it's not a it's plot not point. A plot She's point. shutting it down. Yeah, the answer is no. <laughs> Two birds, one stone. Yeah. Um, and I'm really tired of seeing Murphy rag on Amori and pushing her buttons like he did in this scene. I mean, it was just an unnecessary, like, little bite that he took out of her when they thought the radio wasn't working. Um, Like, enough is enough. I thought after last episode we were starting to move forward and maybe resolve some of these things, but – and maybe they are, but I'm I'm just really sick of Murphy. No, I – Acting like a baby. I had the same thought. You know, I thought after they had had, like, a real conversation about why Amori left him – um, I was thinking that would end because he never acted like that with her before. Yeah. Um, this It's just, you know, after she broke his heart. Um, and so I kind of thought, like, once she explained why she did what she did and, like, how horrible he made her feel, right. I kind of thought that would drop away, especially after they kissed in the last episode mm-hmm. or two. Um, but he's clearly not over it, and I need him to at least stop being a jerk. Yeah, he's being a little punk. Because I don't think I ever want him worry with him if he's going to treat her like this. No, never. And, you know, she's obviously still really conflicted about the way she feels about him. Um, But you cannot go back to somebody who continues to speak to you like that. And I needed to stop. Yeah. In Dioza's mind, two problems solved with Octavia and McCreary gone. But from Kane's point of view, they're just trading one dictator for another. Dioza asks if this is about her giving Abby pills, and Kane agrees that that's part of it. He's seen the horrible things people do to each other in the name of survival. He himself is guilty of a lot of those horrible things. But in the end, uh, the ends don't always justify the means, and the means will usually come back to bite you. If she doesn't know that by now, she's just as bad as Octavia. So two problems solved equals too easy. (laughs) Positive that these two things are going to dissolve by the end of this episode. Yeah. Like, way too easy in the first five minutes of the episode. You sweet summer child. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh. Well, she doesn't know that it's not the uh, season finale. <laughs> no, she doesn't know that we're in a in a TV show. Um, I did want to call out, I was really pleased to see Kane confess to his own mistakes and sins in this context. Um, even if I thought the rest of his speech was, like, total BS, I liked that he, like, admitted his own 
guilt. That yeah. was like a, a nice reprieve for him. Um, I mean, can we talk about how this is very confusing to me? His his speech and his... Um, I mean, we can talk about how... I think I said this to you earlier off the podcast that this was the first time possibly in the history of this show where I was listening to the words coming out of a character's mouth and I genuinely had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah. I, like, twice. The first time we watched it and then the second time when we were recapping. What are you saying, Kane? Writers, what are you trying to communicate to me? <laughs> it's like, the, it is, like, I know you're using English, but the words in this sequence don't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, we will obviously also get into this more later, but, uh, like, in this scene right here where he's, like, talking about, like, trading one dictator for another, it's baffling to me because Octavia and Dioza have, like, nothing in common. No. And the way that Dioza's behaving is not the way that a dictator behaves I guess if he's just saying like you're gonna try to get your enemies out of the way but I feel like that's not exactly what she's doing yeah yeah and I also feel like Dioza would be fine not leading I think she just wants well to yeah be I think peaceful like, and like Clark she recognizes that she's the best person for the job if someone better came along she would happily hand it over yeah. but as a responsibility to these people she like takes it upon herself to lead them because it's their best chance it's just weird to me that you know Kane hasn't seen Dioza behave the way that he's like talking about her behaving um and I want to talk about this a little bit more later but I do feel like he's so um traumatized by like the leaders of the past and even himself but I think especially Octavia you know starting out with the best intentions in mind and then you know eventually devolving into what you know each season has devolved into yeah absolutely Um, so maybe he's like seeing things that aren't there because he's so afraid of a future that he doesn't want to come again no I agree I think um I think we talked about this a little bit earlier but I I think you're absolutely right and that you know even I, I think it's a cyclical pattern that he's witnessed over his life with Jaha with Pike, with himself even, then Octavia, where you come to power with the best of intentions. um, And if you're not careful of yourself, you become corrupted. Yeah, power corrupts. Yeah, so I think even, you know, with all of the positive baggage that he's seen with Dioza, I think he's, it's just more, almost more of a warning than Mm -hmm. an actual evaluation. That I can get behind, but that's not what that isn't, that's not the text, but but it's, you can read it subtextually that way. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like, I'm totally fine with McCreary dying and Octavia potentially dying if it means they don't have to fight the war and can just, like, share the valley. Yeah, no, like, I'm good with both of these people dead. Um, but, you know, we'll get to that later. (laughs) It was also interesting to me to see how affected Dioza was by Kane's words. Like, it looked as if he'd almost slapped her, um, when he left, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody wants to be called a dictator to their face. Well, plus, I mean, she was just so stunned that that was how he thought of her. Right. I think. Yeah. And I, I think she's she's painfully tried to prove that she's not a dictator. And then for him to have misread all of her actions or maybe, like we were saying, predicting that it, it's, it's defenseless, mm-hmm. you know, that it's all going to come back around anyway, I think is shocking to her. Yeah. 
Abby is treating Vincent and discovers that sound waves are the key to dissolving knee abscesses in the prisoner's lungs. Vincent brings her a sonic drill that uses sound waves to pulverize rock, and while it's a good idea, she doesn't know how to wire it to work for medical purposes. And then she remembers that there's a prisoner in camp who's also an engineer, Raven. My boy Vinny <laughs> is back. <laughs> I have to say, he's warming up. I'm warming up to him a little bit. I find everything he does hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, the problem is, is like the show does such a good job of characterizing him in a way that like he only needs to like shift his gaze for me to freak out. Like he is so scary. He doesn't need to do anything. He's just terrifying as he is. Um, that I'm really scared of him. But like, I have to admit that he's pretty, he's pretty cool. Like he's cool. But like, I do agree that the way he moves is it's like so sudden yeah. all of the time. Um, he doesn't do anything slowly. It's just like, you know, suddenly he like jumps up and like runs outside. And, and like, he just leaves and yeah. comes back with this looks thing like, like a gun. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to think? Yeah. Um, but it's also telling to me here just to see that Abby hasn't visited Raven before this. Um, as we would have assumed she had. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll talk about this more later, but she just really hates herself right now and doesn't want to see anybody. No, yeah. She's like not in the right mental space yeah. to be seeing anyone she loves. Raven sees Zeke being beaten up by some of the Allegius prisoners, and she wants to help him because it's her fault he's here. But Echo stops her because she knows they can't kill Zeke. But as she's saying this, she realizes that they have to kill him because he's the only one who can fly the ship. Raven flat out refuses and warns Zeke to stay away from Echo. Like you were saying earlier, um, with the, the, the trade that Murphy was setting up with McCreary, I really like how this... Was this issue of Echo wanting to kill Zeke was quickly resolved. You know, she just, like, Raven just, like, got up and was like, oh, well, now I'm going to tell him about this plan. I think in any other show, they would have used this as, like, a suspense mechanism Mm -hmm. and to really have drawn out, but there's so much dynamic plot happening in this episode. We don't even need that. Yeah. Like, this could have been a plot point in any other show, and now it's just, like, another character beat, basically. It's really nice. Um, I like. I love how quickly they move these things along, um, and I, I just really like that. You know, my spy Echo. She's always thinking like a spy. I really feel like she's in her element here. This is the kind of situation where she can analyze what's going on. She sees all of the moving pieces. She's so pragmatic. Um, yeah, she's a very strategic thinker. She is, and even if it's not an Echo centric episode, it's just excellent writing. And, and characterization for her that they give her these like tiny little beats for her to do opposite of what they do for Harper is basically <laughs> yeah. what I bring it back to you know like there's not a lot this isn't an echocentric plot this isn't and, and you know they aren't spending tons of time with Echo here but they give her enough where there's like continuity and consistency in her character where we feel like we're building to something I mean they give her substantial tidbits they gave Vincent substantial tidbits right. they give all characters substantial tidbits except Harper and maybe Cooper before this episode <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Indra meets with Bellamy and Clark, who tells her that Dioza is offering one crew a place in the valley if Octavia surrenders. Bellamy urges Indra to discuss this with her, but Indra won't advise her to surrender a war she's likely to win now that they can march unseen to the valley with the worms. Indra's just so honorable um, and so comfortable being the soldier. Like, it's, it's really nice to see... You know, she's never wanted power. She's just this, like, wise person. She's she she's comfortable following orders, um, even if the even if she doesn't entirely agree with them. Like, that position in her hierarchy, like, that's where she wants to be. And she really doesn't want to 
to mess any of that up. And I appreciate that. I feel like that's very much in character for her. And it's just nice and refreshing to see a character in that place. Yeah, especially a female character. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's clear that Indra is not at all okay with the plan to use the worms, especially if that means that the valley might be destroyed. Um, but she still won't move on Octavia to stop the plan because her loyalty is that strong. Yeah. Yeah, it's really great. Clark asks Indra what she would do if it were up to her, and Indra says she won't help them kill her leader. Neither will Bellamy, but if they make it so the outcome of the war wasn't certain, fighting would cause too much loss of life on both sides for it to be worth it. Indra hopes that Octavia would surrender if it was all it took to save one crew, but she'd kill Clark and Bellamy because she'd know they destroyed the worms. But Clark proposes another option. Lure Cooper to the biolab and have the worms kill her, then destroy the worms and make it look like an accident. No worms, no war. So I know you didn't read this scene the way that I read the scene, but I felt like Bellamy and Clark were working together to come up with this, like, solution. Um, And I really liked seeing them present a united front here with Indra, and I felt like it was equal parts Bellamy and equal parts Clark. Um, And that was really fun to see them together. Yeah, for me, this was, like, no Bellamy. This was all Clark. The only, like, Bellamy part was, like, he refuses to kill Octavia, so Clark had to find another way. Um, I do think that they came into this scene with the plan to kill Cooper already intact. But, I mean, you can see when Bellamy kind of, like, looks a little askance at her when she so easily talks about killing Cooper that he is is not part of crafting this plan mm-hmm. like he just he still isn't completely behind it but it's another option besides killing Octavia so he's like I guess we'll do this yeah, we'll be okay with it yeah I can see that too um but it still is like a very plot or flawed plan from the beginning um it's it's not Clark's best work <laughs> I mean when she was like proposing it I was like that that's like the most ridiculous plan I've ever heard <laughs> there is no way that you won't get caught <laughs> I do think, though, the idea of killing Cooper and using her as, like, a scapegoat, it did feel like the old Clark to me and that it was, like, really ruthless, you know? It's like, she's got to do what she's got to do. Um, there's no other way around it. This is, like, the plan, and we're just going to have to, like, get to it, where Bellamy is, like, way more emotional about it, and Clark is just like, this is what we're doing, and I have no feelings about this. Not that I have any feelings about this either, because I'm really okay with Cooper dying, but... I actually like what you said Bellamy is more emotional about it because I think Clark is more emotional about it. I think that you're right that this is a very like Clark idea of like killing Cooper and like blaming the the end of the worms on her. Yeah. But like I think Bellamy is like both thinking again as as we've been talking about with his with head, head and his heart. heart um, but especially with his head whereas like Clark is so furious that she's just like barreling forward yeah. and, and not really taking time like like she's the emotional decision maker I mean I I think that's true I think it's kind of like both both of them are exhibiting both I think Clark's so smart she like comes up with these really great ideas but I do think it's coming from a place of emotion and desperation Mm -hmm. um that we haven't seen before and fury (laughs) rage pure rage Octavia and her lieutenants are still planning their attack on the valley. Indra has been demoted, and Miller is now taking her place as captain. Cooper says that the worms sense body heat, so with Maddie's help, they pinpoint the three best places to release the worms, and one of those places is the church. So they kind of, like, zoom in on the church in a significant way in this scene. Do we think that 
we're actually going to see them follow through on this plan? Is that why they had like the significant like focus on the church? Or do we just think that like it was some sort of like dramatic way to change the scene to the, the actual valley? Um, at first I thought it was just like a really cool editing cut um, that I really liked. Um, but now that you mention it, I mean, we know that the plan is going through. So, well... We don't know that. Well, I'm still not certain they're going to release the worms, although I think it's very likely because this show, when it says it's going to do something, it, it usually it does, does it. Yeah. <laughs> it's very rare that they don't go through with the plans that they actually put into motion. And I feel like it would be really significant just with the way this show plays with the religion mm-hmm. to have it a massacre happen within like a religious place. Especially a religious place that has so much meaning now to Clark and to the prisoners as well, who have been yeah, using this as I like mean, a meeting it, space. It's a sanctuary. And, yeah. Um, so the irony there would be particularly dramatic. Um, right? The first time around, I didn't think anything of it, but when we watched it again, and I saw like the way that they like zoomed in on the photo or the the like the drawing, drawing of the church, and then like cut to the church, and it just seems like they were giving us a bit of a nod because I feel like if it weren't going to come back later, what was the point of that scene about like saying, Oh, we're going to release the worms in in these exact places. Like, I feel like they're kind of telling us what's to come. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. We'll We'll see. see. Um, I did like that even though Octavia is clearly promoting Miller, um, as a way to punish Indra for Indra's indiscretions last episode, Indra doesn't take the bait (laughs) and instead compliments Miller. Um, It's just a really classy move. And she like not only compliments him, but she encourages him. It's a very warm moment, affectionate moment from Indra. Um, I really, really liked it. Stay classy, Indra. You're great. Yeah, Indra has this really interesting way of like – building a person up without it being – without it like seeming maternal, if that makes any sense. Like she doesn't like have – like – I would call it warm, but I wouldn't. She, I wouldn't say that she has like a lot of like external warmth. It's like a teacher. She's yeah. a Yeah. So. Um, and I really like the idea of like Miller really respecting Indra and having learned from her, um, and and feeling uncomfortable about taking her place because yeah. he looks up to her and so he much respects her. and respects her so much. Yeah. And I think you know it's like the first time that he's questioning Octavia and why you know understanding right there mm-hmm. she's fully bodied and, and so capable yeah yeah so yeah this is an interesting dynamic that played out um and also just a tiny note that octavia making maddie kind of help them plan where to place these worms in her own home is just particularly cruel to me yeah it was really cruel especially because i don't think maddie really understands the um the implications of what they're about to do well and also like when you're how old is Maddie? 10, 11? 10-ish. I, yeah, I'm not really um, sure. You know, she's just trying to prove herself to her hero, Octavia. And for then Octavia to take advantage of that um, sort of fangirl-ness mm-hmm. gr- fan um, <laughs> and twist it into this dark purpose is, is, is damaging it's awful it's bad (laughs) like that's traumatizing yeah especially given like if it does end up destroying the valley maddie will feel responsible for killing hundreds of people well not just the killing but it's like i mean like that's bad enough as it is but like this could destroy the last livable place on earth her home yeah um it's not great octavia yeah 
It's not your finest moment. Vincent comes into the church and asks for Raven. Raven asks Zeke why Vincent is wearing a collar, and Zeke tells her that Vincent is a serial killer who keeps his victims' hands and feet as mementos. Other than that, though, he's a pretty nice guy. <laughs> Vincent tells Raven that he needs her help for the day, and as Raven leaves, she gives Echo a look like, do not kill my boyfriend, while Zeke gives Vincent a look like, do not eat my girlfriend. <laughs> I'm taking credit for that. She did make that up. I read that out loud while we were recapping. And I had to write it down because that's exactly what they were doing. <laughs> I was looking at each other. That's great. So Zavin was real cute in this scene. This is a really cute Zavin scene for yeah. me. They're adorable. I I like how they're kind of slowly coming to trust and respect each other. Right. On top way. of this layer of attraction. Yeah. That doesn't hurt. Yeah. Um, also... Vincent <laughs> I kind of like I mean we all assumed he was like Hannibal Lecter basically yeah. but it cracks me up that he has like a hand and foot fetish and like kills people and keeps their hands and feet like that's such a random serial killer move it but is. like you be you Vincent <laughs> no it's gross I think Vincent knows it's gross that's why he's like so pleasant he's like I I'm I have some compulsions I have to wear my collar <laughs> oh god He's got a hard life. <laughs> it would be easier if he didn't kill people. I I think he tries really hard not to. <laughs> Raven and Abby reunite, and Abby apologizes for not having seen her sooner. Abby explains to Raven that the miners are dying, and Abby can cure them. She just needs to take the power for the drill and make it come through the medical equipment. Raven wants to let them die, and when Abby balks at that, Raven refuses to help. But after a moment, Raven realizes that Dioza must be holding something over Abby, and when she asks if Dioza threatened to hurt her, Abby nods. With this knowledge, Raven agrees to help. So it's clear that on top of the fact that Abby isn't in the best mental space and doesn't seek out any of the delinquents, um, particularly Raven, earlier than this, it's also apparent that she didn't seek Raven out because of her shame that she feels about herself. I mean, mm-hmm. she knows how perceptive Raven is, and I think she's worried that the second that they come into contact, Raven will pick up on the fact that something is wrong with Abby, even if she's not able to like exactly pinpoint its addiction, which she does find out really quickly. Um, I think there's a part of Abby that's just deeply ashamed of, yeah. of, of what is going on with her, and she doesn't want to look at anyone or have contact with anybody who reminds her of how far she's fallen yeah and I thought it was interesting that um Abby's reunion with Raven was much more emotional than Abby's reunion with Clark oh yeah um and I think that is not you know I I don't think we should read into that much more than the fact that Raven and Abby have always had a very open relationship in a way that that Clark and, and Abby they love each other very much but it's been a struggle for them. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there's so much baggage there that like, even though Clark was, you know, really, really happy to see her mom and vice versa, you know, Abby was kind of right in the throes of like addiction. Well, she still is. Um, and Clark was also kind of testing out the waters, you know, now that her life has changed so much and she's just coming into this bunker and seeing like everyone is crazy. I think she was a little bit more tentative. Um, but Raven, hasn't seen how the bunker changed anybody except maybe Kane. Um, she's coming from space where, you know, all of her friends pretty much just like lived in peace for six years. So I think her excitement to see Raven or to see, um, to see Abby was really what drove 
the emotion of this reunion here. Yeah, it's pure. It's open mm-hmm. and easy. And Raven, I think, has always had an easier time with Abby. Just they've they've had an unburdened relationship until now, which makes what Abby does later so heartbreaking is because she had technically, I mean, basically two daughters. Yeah. She'd already, not ruined, but seriously just you know damaged destructed yeah damaged the first one and now she's damaged the second um it's really sad uh quick question for you if abby weren't relying on dioza for pills do you think that she would still do everything she could to save the prisoners i do i think she's a doctor i think right now it's hard for her to see beyond her addiction and like luckily those two interests align because Mm -hmm. of dioza's maneuvering but i also think that this argument that Raven is like uh we should let them die and the Abby I used to know would have been like I'm a doctor I can't do that I mean we know she's clearly lying in this scenario because she needs the pills Mm -hmm. but I don't think that she would have been wrong in earlier seasons I would like to agree I do hope that Abby would put her kind of doctor's oath first um which makes what happens at the end of this episode so interesting when Abby has the ability to cure them and is basically bribed with pills not to. Um, I think that's kind of a a cool way that they flipped it on its head here. Yeah, it's a great point. Monty is showing Cooper that his algae has already helped the plants, and it's been less than a day. Cooper's impressed, but ultimately tells Monty that they're leaving in a few hours, and after that, she never wants to come back to this bunker again. If Monty wants to take over the hydro farm, he's free to do so. Monty tries to convince her that if they use the algae, no one else has to die. They can have protein and biofuel and maybe even beer. Um, so what kind of struck me in this scene is it's it's interesting that Monty is trying to push for them to like stay here with the algae because it's not just that they can't survive with the hydro farm here anymore. It's that none of them want to remain here in this bunker where there's like uh, you know, a literal Eden out there that they can go and live freely outside. Right. Like Without this out all of the years of horrible yeah, atrocities. Whatever they happened had to here. <laughs> <laughs> um so it's it's not just that like he can convince them like, oh I can make the hydro farm work again like he seems to think it is. It's like they don't want to be here. Right. I think we talked about this last episode where Monty is not seeing the point that there is something that you should strive for beyond surviving Mm -hmm. that is living life to the fullest and I think Harper and him come to this realization together later in this episode it's just in a totally different context um and a different means that everyone else is interested in pursuing yeah um I also thought it was interesting that we get the first humanizing scene of Cooper here um this is the only time I think that we've ever been given a character beat that isn't one noted for her Mm -hmm. and it's obviously incorporated here because later she dies um and if we didn't have this scene here her death would have been completely insignificant and emotionless um and I'm glad they included this scene I wish that it had existed in a previous episode just so we had like a little bit more time to breathe with it but ultimately like this Cooper in this scene was a nice person she was interesting Um, or at least like logical and like well, I guess the old Cooper was logical, but like um, logical in an emotional way, if that makes well, any she sense. Well, she's not a fanatic um, yeah. here. I mean, I, I for me, this was a little bit, you know, too little, too late. Um, I agree. But it was nice to kind of get that callback that she and Monty are from the same place. Yeah. She obviously knew Monty's mom. She knew his mom. I like that she picks up on his hesitancy 
you know, to leave. Mm-hmm. I think she recognizes that he's not comfortable with all of the things that they're doing. And instead of being a little bit um, unbearable or unbearable about it, like she reaches out to him and gives him an olive, olive branch. Like you can stay, like you can have the farm. You know, <laughs> I think that's actually really intuitive of her yeah. in a gentle kind of way. And, but as you said, I think it's a little too late. Um, but still glad we got it. I am too. Before Cooper can answer, though, Bellamy and Clark appear and knock her out and ask Monty to open the door to the worm room. Bellamy tells Monty this is how they stop the war, although Monty thinks that's what he was just doing a moment before. Monty doesn't want to do this, but Bellamy says they'll be the ones killed if he doesn't open the door, and so Monty helps, because according to him, what's one more person when they're already murderers? Bellamy argues this is taking one life to save hundreds, but if that's the case, Monty proposes that they they kill Octavia. Clark and Bellamy fall silent, and point made, Monty opens the door for them and stalks off. I mean, to be fair, Clark already made this point. Like, she already tried to say, like, let's just get rid of Octavia. There's really only one person to blame for this, and it's Bellamy. Clark was DTK, down to kill. I don't think it's fair for Monty to lay the blame at both of them when Clark is definitely willing to sacrifice Octavia. Just throwing that out there. Um, Yeah, and I mean, I get Monty's point... Sort like sort of. I sort of get Monty's point um, on a logical level, but I also don't because, and we'll get into this more later too with his later scenes. But for me, the whole purpose of stopping this war should be to save the people that you love and to be able to live happily with the people that you love. And so, you know, Bellamy loves Octavia. You know, for better or for worse. Like he, why would he kill her when he could kill somebody else? It's still one person to save everyone. It's just like not killing someone you love. Right. Well, I think that argument kind of falls flat for Monty, who murdered his own mother. Well, I think he murdered his mother in defense. I know. In defense, it's different. Um, but I, I don't think. I think at this point, Monty's so done with killing anyone that he's just trying to poke holes in their argument and basically proving to them that you know they have other options um perhaps for guiltier people could have been sacrificed and i i just think he's fed up well i think what he's proving to them is that they're talking about killing one person to save everyone on like a logical level and he's saying it's not logical you've strategically picked a person that you don't like or you you don't don't care about because you don't care about killing them in the same way that you kill the person like if you if they killed octavia Honestly, that would be probably the best bet all around. Yeah. Um, although I don't really know what would happen if they killed Octavia well, we're gonna find out to the rest of one episode. crew. <laughs> well, he didn't kill her. Well, no, but he didn't um, But if, if they had killed her, I'm not sure what kind of power vacuum would have been left. Um, but we'll get into that later. So, like, yeah. I, I get what Monty's saying, but I also just don't think it's that weighty as everyone else seemed to think it was. Yeah, I liked it. I bought it. I'm into like, it. Like, I would have been like, she's my sister. I'm not guilty. I mean, like, it's just, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it has the impact that he wanted it to have. It's like, obviously, I'm not going to kill my sister if I have other options. Yeah, I don't think the point was to, like, necessarily say, like, you know, kill your sister. I think it was the point of, like, look at what you're doing and and, and stop trying to justify this to yourselves. Yeah, I mean, I get that. Yeah, I it just do. doesn't, it's not as weighty yeah, to me. no. As I think he thinks it is. <laughs> Um, it's also a really interesting scene as a callback, another callback to Mount Weather, where Clark and Bellamy kind of made the decision to irradiate Mount Weather and then pretty much forced Monty to help them uh, figure it out, you yeah. know? 
Um, I think Monty is really sick of being the one who like doesn't want to kill and yet keeps getting roped into these plans because he's the the one who knows how to um, implement them. Yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate that he's like so smart because they keep using him mm-hmm. and for really really destructive things. And he's tired of it. Um, quick thing I really it was so cute how Bellamy and Clark they looked like a couple of ninja assassins oh my gosh. it was so funny hiding in the shadows Clark like emerging from the like, shadows bum, bum, bum. Yeah. like it was just a funny visual um in a really like unfunny scene yeah it was it was a little bit anachronistic and I, I just had to call it out um and then also you know Bellamy still here is not okay with what they're doing I think maybe that's why uh, what Monty said hit Bellamy harder than it hit Clark. Clark was like, we're doing what has to be done. But Bellamy um, is not pleased that this has to be done. Yeah. Um, and as we can see when he tells uh, Clark, what does he say to her? Maybe keep keep telling me that and maybe I'll believe She's it. She's like, we're doing the right thing. Yeah. And he says, if you tell me that enough times, maybe I'll start to believe it. Yeah. So he, d- he doesn't believe it yet, but he's like, I don't know what any other options would be. So I guess I'm just going to go along with you. Yeah. While McCreary is still unconscious, Murphy flips through Clark's sketchbook and finds a picture of him and Amore tied to the shuttle. McCreary wakes and compliments Murphy on the bomb plan, saying he could use someone like Murphy on his crew. Murphy then reveals that his crew doesn't seem to miss him because they offered to trade him for Raven, but Dioza wouldn't make the deal. Upon realizing that Dioza sold him out, McCreary offers to help Murphy get Raven back. I love seeing Clark's sketch of Mamori from last season um, in front of the rocket. I thought it was a really nice touch and very sweet. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that it showed Murphy how much that emotionally impacted Clark. Um, That was such a traumatic moment for Murphy and for Mamori. And we got a really amazing moment that I think was kind of what changed Clark's mind between Clark and Murphy, with Murphy reminding her that, like, you always are the one who decides who to die um yet i i've sacrificed for you and yeah. you're gonna kill my girlfriend yeah. um so i think it just goes to show murphy that clark was not unaffected by that yeah i think it's important reminder for him of where he and amori started and how mm-hmm. close and pure their love for each other used to be and how far they've come and that he has a lot of work to do to <laughs> get back there yeah um does McCreary seem hurt by Dioza not taking the trade? Oh, yes. Yeah, it, it like, <laughs> genuinely seems to, like, upset him. He's pissed. <laughs> not not just pissed, but, like, hurt. No, yeah, he's, he's, I mean, he like, made that joke about their sex. Yeah, I thought like, I meant more to you than that. Right, I, I think he has, like, a little crush on her. I think so. I mean, I get it. Um, <laughs> and even though he would never admit it, I think he's pretty stung by this. Yeah. It's, it's not great. <laughs> Um, I do like that McCreary can locate Murphy's weak spots just as easily as Murphy can. I mean, I've said before how similar these characters are. Um, so it makes sense that McCreary can like analyze someone and, and figure out where to push their buttons. And he recognizes Murphy has like really low self-esteem, especially in this moment where he's just re- reeling from looking up this um, sketch of him and Namori. And he immediately starts to butter him up and yeah. complimenting him as a way of, like, winning him over. And poor Murphy just laps it up. Oh, I disagree. I don't think Murphy lapped it up at all. I think on some level it was working. I think from, like, a logical point of view, Murphy can recognize what McCreary is doing, and yet he can't help himself but gravitate toward it. Yeah, I disagree. I feel like these aren't qualities that Murphy likes in himself. Um, I don't think he likes the thought that, like, someone like McCreary – 
wants him and like likes him mm-hmm. in any way because that just you know goes to show how um what's the word I'm looking for how like his qualities are not good people qualities that yeah. was not smart at all that was not an intelligent phrasing but <laughs> no, but I know what you mean and I agree with you I think um mentally Murphy can recognize all of those attributes that you were just describing but I think emotionally he doesn't believe that he is a good person I think he still thinks he's bad and that's why he is why Mercury's um compliments for lack of a better word they do I mean like we see him when Murphy over he agrees to this plan and I think a stronger Murphy would would figure out a way of doing it without Mercury but he's just not sure of himself enough I mean, I think he's not sure of himself enough in his ability to get Raven back. I don't think that McCreary buttering him up worked in any way, but I do think McCreary offering him another solution for getting his friend out of harm's way, um, Murphy jumped at that because he has no other ideas himself, which is fair because I don't have any other ideas either. Yeah, I think Amori would have come up with some ideas, but Murphy doesn't want to ask her opinion. Which and again, thus he moves to McGurry, which is my point. Yeah. Dioza finds Kane surveying a valley. She tells him that she's been fighting the abuse of power her whole life, and she wants to see an end to the violence as badly as he does. Kane reveals that he saw battle strategies in her book, but Dioza says that they're defensive strategies. She's not preparing for war, she's planning for peace. Kane says there might be a difference there, but until she recognizes that they're all just people, all this will be is a battlefield. So again. <laughs> This entire speech with Kane really confuses me, um, especially because it seems like the writers are siding with Kane. Um, and the way he talks about, like, you have to recognize that we're all just people. Like, she's the one this entire season that we've seen over and over again, like, genuinely care about people, despite what they've done in the past. You know, she's taken in a bunch of one crew prisoners. Um, she keeps, you know, trying to to comfort her own uh, prisoners and, and help them um, with their their little lung problem and she like you know wants them to get better and she wants them all to live together and it's just really weird to me that Kane is seeing this so differently <laughs> yeah I mean I think like what we were talking about before I think he is blinded by his trauma of being abused by leaders before I don't think this is a commentary on Dio's actions so much as a warning um, the path that she's could go down eventually um I totally agree that I thought this speech was the second BS uh speech of the of the this show but I mean it's it's particularly crazy to me because just last episode he was like why don't you just let all the prisoners die like and then she was like I I don't just get rid of people because you 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 view them as worthless and then suddenly here he's like you have to recognize that we're all people like Kate what the hell are you talking about no yeah. one knows. Uh, Do the writers know? Nobody knows. <laughs> no one knows. Um, I agree. I thought this was really confusing. Um, another interesting tidbit we get of Dio's past is that she's been fighting the abuse of power her whole life, which doesn't sound like a terrorist to me. Well, I think it doesn't sound like she thinks she's a terrorist. I think a lot of terrorists would probably be saying the same thing about themselves. Um, I'm still more struck by like her apparently caring for human life, but then killing innocent people. That's kind of where my disconnect is. I would like a little bit more backstory there, but I do think that like terrorists don't usually view themselves as terrorists. Yeah. But I feel like, again, I don't, I don't 
think she would consider I mean I don't obviously she doesn't consider herself a terrorist but I don't know I feel like we should table this until we get more information I just think that like we're gonna shelve this in the library of Dio is the backstory <laughs> um that is getting bigger and bigger yeah I mean we episode. say this every episode but I really really hope we get a few more pieces of backstory yeah. Um, she's not totally complete to me yet, so I need, I need a little bit more before yeah. I can kind of build a, a full picture. A full picture. Dios asks Kane to describe what he sees when he looks at the valley, and although he doesn't think they'll see it the same way, he complies. Kane tells her how he envisions setting up a town with a trading post and farms and homes and a real medical center for Abby, plus a well for people to gather around and debate ideas. Dioza adds a school into the mix and reveals that she's pregnant with a girl. She thanks Kane for giving her hope at the thought of raising a child in a world like this, and Kane notes that hope is a pretty good name. So this is one of my favorite parts of the episode. I thought the scene was really, really beautiful once we got past whatever the hell Kane was saying before. <laughs> whatever um, he's talking about. I think this too, um, in this moment here, is Kane at his best because, you know, at his heart he is a dreamer and he's an idealist and, and he's kind of describing the potential of what they could be. And that is really, really lovely. Um, if only this was, you know, the, the, the limit to his idealism. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes he kind of goes beyond um what he should but this in particular is pretty perfect yeah this was very touching and very sweet um and a nice like pause it was like a nice deep breath Mm -hmm. in this episode that's otherwise very plot focused I mean it was just really luscious and relaxed and it was like a nice it was like almost felt like zen like yeah where the hell did they find this valley to shoot in like this valley was beautiful yeah, it with was. the wildflowers and um i i just I, I can imagine what kane is talking mm-hmm. about although i did want to like make a note he tells her he doesn't think they'll see it the same way <laughs> don't want to harp on this too much but again does he not know her he like walks up on her a few episodes ago like literally like meditating in this like gazebo like with wildflowers <laughs> it's like what makes you think that she loves war she has like consistently shown over and over again that she doesn't like taking life and only does it if necessary moving on not beating the dead horse anymore but just another frustrating thing and like yeah. a long list of frustrating yeah. things but otherwise i loved this scene. yeah <laughs> um Although I do have to say, Dioza having Kane touch her stomach was real weird. It was really weird. It just, I don't know, it made me a bit uncomfortable. I was like, thank God it was like the baby was kicking and like she was showing him that the baby was like alive and healthy because otherwise this would have been really weird. I don't know. I think you, we kind of joked before that you always have the urge to like, I do. I have this really weird ir- urge when I see pregnant women. I just like want to rub their bellies like a lamp. I think a lot of people have that urge. I have like zero percent of that urge and I'm repelled. I repelled <laughs> I would never do that without permission. no well I mean and I feel like the Dioza f- gives him permission no, she grabs his hand I mean like I'm not blaming Kane yeah. it's totally on Dioza she just is like oh here feel my stomach um and I just didn't know we were at that level yeah. <laughs> I didn't know we were that friendly with each other were we like baby touching friends right. we're, baby, we're, we're baby bump touching friends <laughs> um but I do like that you know any fantasy sci-fi show that has a baby they will always end up naming it hope like every single show um but to me that does kind of confirm what we discussed last episode about dios's baby maybe signaling the potential for a brighter future here you know it's it's the hope that there will be more to come yes i really like that theme i like that idea um and i would have to believe that that's true 
um, if in some capacity moving into the next season. Yeah, I mean, otherwise there's no there's point. There's no point. To have Even though Jason line. repeatedly is like, this is a tragedy. There is no hope anywhere. Like, you literally named the baby Hope. Well, I think, I, I don't remember exactly what Jason said there, but hope is a cornerstone of tragedy. You know, you can't have tragedy without having the hope that things will get better. Yeah, I totally point. agree. Um, I think this, I think much more so than this being a tragedy, this entire series is built on hope for a better future and Absolutely. they keep working toward and that the strife it takes to get there and keep failing at it but there is still that hope if there wasn't that hope what would be the point why are we watching it yeah um I feel like this scene more than anything else before is convinced me that Kane is going to die this season oh yeah um it was just such a beautiful vision of the future and I feel like it will be his legacy and honoring his legacy that we'll see I mean if the valley count remains arable um yeah (laughs) if if the valley survives i feel like to honor his memory they will build this village in the way in which he dreamed it could be but i don't think he'll be part of it my ideal version i mean not not that i want kane to die but i'm honestly like at peace with kane dying i feel like we've kind of reached the end of what he can give us as a character yeah um and I kind of like I like the idea, as you said, of like his his quote unquote village that is built um, in his honor, kind of following his ideals. Um, I love Dioza raising her child there. I do feel like, you know, in terms of what I think is going to happen at the end of the season, I do think a lot of this valley will probably be destroyed. Um, but I'm hoping that there will be at least some livable space that people can stay on Earth and and thrive there. I don't think that all of us are going to stay on Earth, or at least all of us are not going to stay on earth at this point in time. They might come back later. Yeah. Hundreds of years in the future or whatever. But um, I, I would, if Dioza is going to not be on the show next season, I would like her to have a nice, happy ending with her child. In Kane's Village. In Kane's Village. Kane's Valley. Kane's Valley. Yeah. That's the name we settled on. Yeah. Kane's Valley. Yeah. Cooper wakes up wearing her hazmat suit and realizes with horror that the worms are loose and her hole, her hole has a glove. Uh, her glove has a hole. <laughs> uh, she's already been infected. And as Cooper screams in agony and begs them to put her out of her misery, Clark and Bellamy watch from the side. Clark reassures Bellamy that their plan will work and Octavia will have to surrender. And with that, they leave and Cooper dies in a particularly nauseating fashion. Yes, indeed. This scene was so gross. Yeah. Um, even with the scene we got earlier that humanized Cooper, I felt nothing when she died. It was just like good riddance. Yeah, I mean, she had it coming. She's the one who basically pioneered the testing of these worms on live subjects. Yeah, so no, you had it coming. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel bad for you, although it was really, really hard to watch Clark and Bellamy, you know, stand on the sidelines and and watch her die yeah. um, screaming in pain and like screaming for them to put her out and, of her misery and, and Bellamy was the one who like turned away yeah and he couldn't stand it Clark on the other hand was like well Clark also was not enjoying no, I don't it. think she was enjoying it but she has a coldness a steelness steeliness in her that I, I don't think Bellamy has no, and I think when Bellamy turned away, Clark knew that, like, it's time to leave. It was like, time to he go. can't watch he can't this whole thing this anymore. And I want him on my side still. Yeah. Um, it was pointed that the writers gave Clark and Dioza the same line here. It's also the title of the episode, How We how we Get to Peace. You know, it really highlights the similarities between them and is, like, a giant neon sign about the theme of this, this whole series. But, but in particular, this episode about the choices we make and the sacrifices we make 
in an effort for peace like we were just talking about mm-hmm. in the hopes of making a better future um and I really liked that you know I know that's a writing trick and in real life they would never have said this <laughs> um but I like that they had them both say it I thought it was really um impactful and beautiful yeah and I mean it's it's interesting too to see both Dioza and Clark highlight getting rid of one or two to save the many um and that's how you get to peace i i think later on we'll see kind of bellamy having to sacrifice the one um in a different way is how he gets to peace and 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 like the 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 road to peace is paved with suffering (laughs) and and good intentions but like suffering also (laughs) McCreary has Murphy at gunpoint. When Amori emerges to save Murphy, she's horrified to discover that Murphy has made a deal with McCreary instead. Murphy tells her this is how they save Raven. McCreary walks them into camp as prisoners, and they get Raven out themselves. Amori agrees to the plan, but that doesn't mean that they're back together. This current version of Murphy is one she fell in love with, but once the fight is over, Murphy will fall apart again. In this scene, um, I really appreciated how they let Amore analyze Murphy like this and express herself. I always like the way they let Amore express herself. I think the way that they write the two of them is always really strong. And this was just another really great example of that. Yeah, I, I'm glad that Amore isn't just kind of going along with this new Murphy um, and like thinking that he's here to stay. Although... I do think part of the reason he kind of fell apart when he was in space was because he was in space and he was trapped and there was like nowhere for him to go and nothing. He, he's, he's not a technical person. Like he has none of those kinds of skills um, and it made him feel useless. And then he like pushed people away because they're making him feel useless. It was like, I think it was a vicious cycle. Yeah. And also like, you know, a lot of terrible things happened to him in, in space. space. Well, that's what I'm saying. So I feel like now that he's on earth, I I, I still think he's going to get better. I don't think it's going to be like he's going to fall back into the same um, things that he was doing in space, but we don't have enough uh, examples to work with yet. Yeah, no, I think Amori is really smart to be like, you need to prove that you're not going to fall apart again yeah. and then we can talk, um, which I think is totally fair. Yeah, and you need to stop treating me like garbage. Garbage, yeah. <laughs> she didn't say that, but I'm saying that. Yeah. Um, also, I know neither of them trust McCreary. But I'm still shocked that they're basically trusting McCreary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, like, goes back to what my point. Maybe I wasn't making it clear earlier. Um, I just, like, the fact that Murphy was, like, lulled into the idea that this could ever be a good thing is shocking. Yeah. Um, because obviously we know McCreary is going to turn against yeah, the first the possible second. moment. But I guess we'll uh, get to that later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Raven gets the machine working, but finds Abby passed out before they can start it up. Raven quickly sees that Abby is high from the pills on her bed, and she's furious, and Abby tries to explain, but Raven won't hear it. Raven realizes that Dioza didn't threaten Abby's life, she just threatened to cut her off, and she won't help Abby get her next fix. But when Raven denies to dis- tries to destroy the machine, Abby stops her by activating her shock collar. This was heartbreaking, um, devastating actually, and really hard to watch, but I loved everything about this scene I thought it was powerful and beautiful and honestly one of the most emotionally impactful scenes that I've seen in a while I thought it was gorgeous yeah I thought it was devastating yeah (laughs) um I do love that Raven didn't let Abby use her pain as an excuse especially just given that Raven has been through 
so much pain, um, both emotional and physical. Right. But especially physical. Yeah. I mean, she's like the the number one person who knows pain on this show. But that said, I do think there is an interesting uh, comparison to be made with Raven taking the chip in season three to like get rid of her pain. Um, Like what really is the difference there? And is there a difference? I don't. I don't know if there is a difference in anything other than the way I feel about it. Um, I think there is a way in which, well, I think for starters, a couple, I have a couple of thoughts about this. One, I don't believe that when Raven took the chip to relieve, alleviate all of that pain, she was doing it um, with the idea that it would really harm other people. That may be naive, but I don't think when she was doing it, it was like, oh, I, uh, you know, this could lead to consequences where, like, I could kill people, essentially. Whereas I do feel like Abby knows exactly what she's doing here and the pain that it will inflict using the shock collar. With that said, I mean, I think you made this point earlier, uh, maybe off the podcast, um, about how this is a, a really interesting way to talk about addiction and the way that it controls you. Um, and that's sort of a, a nice comparison to the way that the chip sort of like is in control yeah, of you. The way I think about it is Abby is under the influence right now of substance. her addiction and of her substance. Um, she's not taking it with the intention to hurt anybody. It's kind of like an unintended consequence. Side effect. Um, but the same thing with what Raven did, taking the chip, she was under Allie's influence and she definitely did hurt people, even though that wasn't her intention. She didn't want to do it, but she still did. Um, I think that that is a little bit more of a metaphorical look at addiction um, versus this is a, a literal look, but it is an interesting parallel to draw. And it also makes me wonder if maybe that's why, not just because of her mom, but also because of her experience with the chip in season three, um, that's why Raven is so disgusted Disgusted. by this. Yeah, and I do like that we get this callback about her mom here, um, or maybe a little bit later. But I also think that looking at Raven and Abby's relationship, I think it's particularly, like, poignant that Ab- uh, that Raven is the one to uncover this like mm-hmm. I feel like there is like an emotional depth in Raven um this this like well of 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 suffering and emotion um and and sensitivity that it makes this that much harder you know like I feel like Clark is so pragmatic not that that Raven isn't but there is like a a steeliness in Clark that I don't Mm -hmm. think Raven has and her sort of vulnerability makes this that much more hurtful yeah Raven has like a level of passion that Clark Mm -hmm. doesn't have and that passion can translate into many different things and I think here it very much translates into rage and hurt and yeah horror um I mean it's not just you know seeing Raven hurting that it's upsetting and seeing Abby do this to Raven while at the same time like hating herself for doing it and like just not being able to break free of the need for pills right and and you know you would hope in this scene that this would be like the low point for Abby but then we see later on that as you said she actually goes against her oath as a doctor in order Mm -hmm. to get more I mean like she's just gone she's gone do we think that Raven can ever forgive Abby for this I don't know. I mean, you and I have talked about this a little bit off the podcast, but 
I'm kind of of two minds of it because you did a really good job convincing me. Um, <laughs> but I feel like this is a traumatic moment that will leave scars that Raven will never forget. Um, and I do feel like you can have, you can come back to a place of love and and functionality with a, someone that in your life um, without ever forgiving certain parts of what they've done. Um, and so I, I don't know. I think, um, you know, we see at the end of the episode that Raven talks about her mom, but I think that's obviously at the same time making talking the parallels about, talking about yeah. Abby and her saying, you know, no matter what they do to you, you'll, you'll take it. Um, I think that kind of hints to her being able to kind of come back around to Abby eventually because she views Abby as a mother figure. Um, and I agree that when someone hurts you in this way, you can't ever forget it. But I also think forgiving is much more for like the victim of something than it is for the, the abuser. Um, and so I do think Raven would choose to forgive and put that aside eventually. But I think that Abby's got a lot of work to do to get there. Oh, agreed. Agreed. Monty's hiding out, upset when Harper finds him. Monty asks her if she remembers when they were happy, and Harper promises they'll get back there. Monty doesn't want to be a killer anymore. He doesn't want to take lives to save them. At that, Harper tells him that if he doesn't want to do that, then he shouldn't do that. And when he worries if his inaction will get his friends killed, Harper says that everyone dies. Then she promises that when the army leaves for war, they'll stay behind. They kiss passionately and ignore the suddenly blaring alarms. I'm happy with this promise. Like, I like this for them. I like the idea of them staying behind and running this farm and, like, la-di-da. I don't think that's going to work out, but I like the idea of it. Yeah, honestly, though, for me, this is the first scene maybe ever in this show that I, like, fundamentally don't understand. I do not understand the viewpoint of letting people you love die when you could do something to save them. I um, Harper being like, everyone dies. What the hell are you talking about, Harper? Of course everyone dies. But if you can do something to help people and you don't and they die, you're complicit in it. It's not – your hands are not clean of that. Yeah, and I think that no matter how much suffering you've gone through and how many lives you've taken for better or for worse – I mean, Monty is clearly at the breaking point here. He can't do it anymore. Um, I'm not sure that you would feel any better if the people that you loved around you die. When you could have helped. Right. I don't I don't see that making you feel any better. It's just a way of living that I genuinely do not understand and do not agree with. And I don't like it. No. I don't like the idea of them just like sitting back and running their farm when their friends are in danger for better or for worse. I, I just, I don't know. I can't, I can't respect that, honestly. I'm fine with it because like I'm tired of watching Monty struggle like this and I want him to feel better I do think it's interesting that we're getting a little bit of a flip for Harper and Monty this season um I think last season Harper was the one who was like I can't fight anymore I can't do this and Monty was the one you know trying to bullying her up yeah yeah, push her to keep going um and now we're getting a little bit of a, a turning that on its head with Harper being the one to kind of keep Monty afloat yeah I really like that and I do think this was a step in the right direction for Harper um I like that they have this scene between the two of them and she's clearly the stronger one in this scene and and consoling him but I'm still very unsatisfied with her lack of story as a singular character yeah um this is not enough for me 
at all. It's not enough for me either. Um, But at this point, I'm kind of beginning to wonder if this might be Harper's and Monty's last season because I do – it feels very much like Monty's last season. Like, Monty is also kind of at the point where he can't give anymore. Mm -hmm. He just wants to be left alone. Um, And I think that if Monty's done, then Harper will be done as a character. So – I could be totally off base, but... No, no, I kind of see that, too. I just and don't think we're going to get more from Harper. It just makes me sad that they never figured out what to do with her. Yeah. Um, and I think that they, like, pretty much immediately put their plan of inaction into action. But um, um By ignoring the, lar- the alarm that's going off and just, like, choosing to sit there and make out make instead. Out. Um, it's very, very uh, telling because the alarm is basically, you know telling Octavia what Clark and Bellamy did um, and yeah. alerting them to that and, and putting Clark and Bellamy in a new danger um, that they're just not going to worry about, no, I guess. They're not They're not worrying so, about it. Clark and Bellamy made their bed. They can sit in it. They've made so many beds at this point. <laughs> only they'd get in it together. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Octavia storms into the bio lab to find Indra there, having killed the worms upon finding Cooper dead. Indra says that now that they don't have the worms, the cost of lives the cost of lives of the war would be too high a price to pay. Octavia says they weren't planning on using the worms, they're planning on using their eggs, and she knows that someone has staged this to make it look like an accident. And it doesn't take her very long to figure out who that person could be. Bum bum bum. Bum bum bum. Oh Indra. Uh oh Indra. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's very wonderful and wise in many ways, but Indra is not a good liar. Um, her, no. like, immediately turning around after destroying the worms and being like, well, now that the worms are gone, let's just uh, discuss maybe you not going to war. I feel like it's my duty to inform <laughs> yeah. you. Like, it's it makes perfect sense that she's not a good liar because, you know, she is so direct yeah. and honest and loyal and, and honorable. Like, lying is so incompatible with, like, everything who she is. Like, of course you can't lie, especially to somebody who knows you so well. Yeah. It is it was really This bad. was a flaw in the plan. Yeah. <laughs> Indra was the flaw in the plan. Um I I know you and I have like not totally dissimilar but but dissimilar interpretations of this scene. I felt like Octavia knew even before Indra said anything that this was a setup and that um, even when she was like, she was like placating Indra when Indra was like, I'm sorry I had to kill the worms. I didn't want them to escape. And Octavia was like, it's okay, Indra. Of course you did the right thing. Like lulling her into a false sense of security and only to like, um, rip the rug underneath her to reveal that she like knew this was fake all along. And I felt like that was like a, a kind of like a twist in the gut and getting back at Indra for last episode and for betraying her in the first place but I know that you have a different interpretation and I want to talk about that too yeah my interpretation's only slightly different I don't think when Octavia tells her like you did the right thing I don't think at that point she's like Indra did this on purpose um because I think we do see when Octavia comes in that she's really shocked at what she's looking at and I feel like it's only when right after Indra says that that she turns around that Octavia's like wait a minute you know you want me to not do the war now? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Thank you for your advice, Tita. Like, I think that, for me, was the moment when she realized that Indra was, like, very much involved in this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll be... But I think either way... I think, yeah, it doesn't make... It's just, Small like, potatoes. Small potatoes. <laughs> um, I'll be interesting. You got, this is something that you guys can write in. What do you think happened? We are at a disagreement, but it's okay. Um, 
do we feel like Octavia feels any grief about losing Cooper? Because right now we just see a lot of her cold rage at the surface. But I do wonder if there's more underneath because, you know, Cooper was her right man or right hand man. Um, I, I did like the very first second that she sees Cooper lying there, her face has is like flooded with emotion. Yeah. Um, it's quickly gone. But I kind of wonder if we're going to get more of her dealing with this later. I don't know if we have time, but I I would like to think that she's going or that she does grieve her, that she's capable of grieving her, that Cooper meant something to her more than just her like usefulness mm-hmm. um or sycophantness. But at the same time, like I think part of that emotion that we saw on her face and her rage is is just the idea that somebody would would take something from her you know like Cooper was hers she was part of one crew and I think she doesn't like when people go against that um hates it actually and I think that boiling rage is is because of that I agree Clark and Bellamy are alone waiting for word that their plan worked Clark apologizes to Bellamy that she thought she could kill his sister but Bellamy tells her that if it were anyone else he would have beat her to it but Clark's not so sure. Maybe Bellamy 1.0 would, but not this Bellamy. Now she's the one making decisions with her heart instead of her head. But Bellamy understands she's just desperate to protect Maddie. So I know that we, as like a fandom, harp a lot about the like head-heart uh, Bellamy duo. Mm-hmm. But the show is not being subtle about it. Like Clark is like hammering that in, you know? Oh my god, it was like fan fiction up there. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe that this is like actually words coming out of the characters' mouths. <laughs> I mean, that and and uh, Bellamy calling her mama bear. Yeah, that was a. It was too much. It's a little too cheesy, honestly. It was, <laughs> I agree. This scene was, like, a little too saccharine. I actually, like, it was good. I mean, it was a good way of getting them back on the same page, and it was a good first step for them coming back together as a unit. But overall, the, like, sweetness factor of this scene was, like, too much for me to digest. Yeah, I just, yeah, it was a little a little ridiculous, but I do have to say, I do think Bellamy has never been more attracted to her than uh, when she, like, lets her mama in. Yeah, that's go. true. Number one dad, Bellamy. <laughs> best dad in the universe, Yeah, best Bellamy. dad in the universe, Bellamy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really wanted them to get everything out on the table in this episode. Um, they didn't. No. But I'm at least glad that they had kind of an honest conversation about, you know, where they are, even if it was cut short. Yeah. Um. But I am still waiting for them to, like, lay everything out. All the cards yeah. out. Yeah, I think when I when I say that this was, like, a little bit too saccharine for me, it's because I wanted this to be this sort of, like, explosive. More substantial. Um, gut-wrenching, kind of, like, couldn't contain it, and it was just coming out of them. Mm-hmm. And this felt very much like they were comforting each other, which is not a bad thing, and I'm not complaining about it, but that isn't what I was expecting from this yeah. scene, um, and so it was, like, a really different tone. It was a little hard for me to digest. Yeah, I think we all went into this scene um, with the knowledge that people have talked about episode 508 being a good Bell Arc episode, Yeah, and so after this scene, I was, I wouldn't say disappointed, but I was, like, Confused. A little confused yeah. because I didn't think this was any more of a Bell Arc scene than we'd gotten in previous episodes. Right. Um, <laughs> we'll get to Bell the end of the episode episodes. later. Uh, yeah. yeah, let's let's just move on. Let's just finish this up. Yeah. Uh, so suddenly Octavia comes in and has her people arrest Clark for Cooper's murder. When Bellamy protests, Octavia threatens to put him in the arena too to make him and Clark fight. 
Clark won't let him confess, so Octavia says they'll settle for an execution. And as Clark is carried away, she screams at Bellamy to keep Maddie safe, and he promises he will. Oh my god, that last... He was, like, crying when he said, I promise. It was intense. Um, I thought this was particularly cruel of Octavia to threaten Bellamy with the arena, basically being like, don't confess and don't, you know, don't don't put yourself in this with Clark because if you do, then there will be enough of you to throw in the arena and then you could die. Um, and so obviously, like, he stays out of it in order to save her only for Octavia to announce that she's going to execute her anyway. It was really mean. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think that he thought that Clark would be okay if he didn't confess. Um, but it was interesting to me that Octavia is sacrificing Clark in the same way that Bellamy sacrificed Cooper. Um, it was basically sacrificing Clark to save Bellamy, whereas he sacrificed Cooper to save Octavia. Right. Um, so there, there's still there's still some stuff there, even though on the surface she was particularly cruel this, this uh, scene. She was. Uh, that said... I would love to see Clark and Bellamy in the arena together. <laughs> I, I was a little disappointed that didn't happen. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would have been great. I oh. was like, I, I was like envisioning them like Kylo Ren and Rey yeah. in The Last Jedi, um, like fighting back to back with their lightsabers, kicking butt. For the record, not comparing them on a character level. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, I meant the, the, the logistics of that fight scene yeah. only. Yeah. Yes. The, the like visual the of visual. it would be real great. Would have been great. Back to back fighting with your lightsabers. Awesome. Yep. Uh, but it is not to be. <laughs> yeah. And I do feel like Octavia's, I mean like the conviction it would take for Octavia to look at Clark, this person that she's known for years and had all of these experiences with, for her to have the conviction to execute Clark is just insane. I mean, we have, we have gone past the point We've said this many times, but like Octavia is really beyond help at this moment, especially given that she knows that Bellamy loves her. I mean, it's even a little bit more crazy to me. Yeah, you know, for me, the more I think about this, the more I'm convinced that Octavia had no intention to actually kill Clark. I think she was doing this in a way for a couple of things. I think she wanted to get Velmi back on her side. And I think, you know, making him come and beg for her life and like giving, um, give, giving and taking and compromising in the way that he had to do with Echo, um, I think is what she really wants from him. Mm-hmm. I think that Clark is a really good bargaining piece for her. I, I, I really don't think that she intends to execute her if she doesn't have to because I think Clark is more useful to her alive maybe um but I guess we'll never know what she actually intended to do I don't know they're like have that whole conversation later where they're like yeah we'll deal with Maddie after we get well I think I think Octavia wants her people to believe she'll execute Clark and right now she has no advisors because you know she's kind of kicked Indra out but I think like deep down she doesn't really think she's going to do it that's why she like lets Bellamy come in and and try to beg quote quote unquote beg that uh, makes for sense. her life. I like that. I hope that because that would also mean that Octavia is not, you know, as far completely gone. gone. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know I don't if know. she, at the end of this episode anymore, is <laughs> going to stay that way. Uh, Raven is carried into the church. Echo goes over to her, worried that she didn't, or worried, and tells her that she didn't kill Zeke. And then Raven tells her that they can't let Dioza win, and she just makes Echo, Echo promise that Zeke won't suffer. Um, so... Surprise twist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> didn't see that coming. I definitely did not see that coming. And I was kind of like, 
What? I, was, I kind of wanted Ra- – well, I, I thought Raven was going to be like, oh, good, you didn't kill someone. Great, right. you know? Right. Thank you so much. For <laughs> and saving for my boyfriend. To, for her to flip it over and be like, actually, I need you to kill him. Kill him softly. Yeah. <laughs> kill him gently. <laughs> Say goodbye <laughs> into the, to the dark night. Yeah, that was a surprise twist. Yeah, for sure. Um, I did really like Echo coming over to comfort Raven. It was precious and adorable and very sweet. Yeah, and it just shows again how close they are and how much Echo values their relationship. Yeah, and she and how much she tries. Yeah. And that's important, you know, give and take, man. Which again, for I think Echo to put aside what she knows strategically would make the most sense for Raven's feelings. It's I think it's it's a lot of character growth for her. I know a lot of people aren't going to give that to her, but I, I really think I it do. is. I give it to I her. I give it to her. Big snaps for you. Zeke comes over and asks if Vincent hurt her, but Raven asks why he even cares since he's the reason these people are all still alive. At her vitriol, he moves to leave, but she stops him and asks if he's ever loved someone so much that no matter what they did to you or themselves, you take it. Zeke asks if it was her mom or dad, and she tells him that her mother drank herself to death. Zeke then tells her that he loved that way too, and at that, Raven begins to sob. This whole scene was so beautiful and heartbreaking. I loved every second of it. Lindsay Morgan's acting is so good in this scene. I mean, it's her eyes just, those eyes, man, they just well up with tears and it's gut-wrenching. Yeah. You know, it was, it's really powerful. And I, I love her chemistry with Shaw, Zeke. I'm not sure. Um, We're calling him Zeke forever. Zeke. Uh, they they both have this gentleness about them that works really well together and it's really really sweet and Mm -hmm. I I really like them as a pair yeah I do too Um, which kind of brings me to a question that I've seen floating around online that it sounds like this actor has found another job next season um, as like a lead character which really worries me because it seemed to me that they were setting up Raven's kind of end game like they were giving her like something to like not that she needs a man again, but, like, they were giving her someone to, like, fight for and someone yeah, that she hers. needs a partner. A partner, yeah. Um, so I'm worried that Zeke, at the end of the season, is either going to die or they were had they had planned on, like, him continuing onward and they're gonna, just going to have to, like, wipe him away like Wick uh, was wiped away. Um, either one of those options are not great to no, me. No, maybe they'll just figure out a shooting schedule instead. Maybe. I hope so. Um, I don't know, like, what this show is, when the shooting schedule is, like, how how that works about being able to share people on different shows. Um, We had this issue with uh, Lexa. Yeah. yeah, um, And her not being able to shoot for except, you know, a certain period of time and they had to kill her because of it. Um, So I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I do like that the show doesn't forget its history um, because we all knew from a long time ago that Raven's mom was an addict. But to be able to tie that in to Abby's addiction in real time and for the show to like remember enough to tie that in um, is just it goes to show how strong of a show this is and how much the writers really do care about what they're putting on paper. I agree. And I think it's the parallel between... Raven's mom and her relationship with Abby is so so clear in this episode um and that that signifier and that little fact about her mother really ties it all together yeah in a really neat way and on another note I actually like too that we got a little bit more of Zeke's background here just knowing that he I'm assuming had a a hard relationship with his mother or father um in the same way that Raven had and I think it's just another way to kind of 
to, to bring them closer together right before, you know, he dies. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't know if Right before Echo die. kills him. Um, I don't think he is, but honestly, again, if he, you know, has to leave and the show usually says, you know, when it but wants to kill someone. they just found out and this show, is, this season's already done taping. So, like. Well, that's true, but I, I don't know what they planned for him this season. I mean, they could have just planned for him to be like a one-off character. I really don't know. I have no idea. I never um, know with this show. I really don't feel like he's going to die this I don't season. think so either. I hope not, but I guess we'll uh, we'll see where his character goes. I, I am now more excited to see Raven and Zeke together and for them to keep connecting, even though Raven literally just told Echo that she could kill him. Um, I'm assuming that that's going to... That's She's going to, like, happen. put the kibosh on yeah. that. <laughs> Abby reveals to Dioza that she's healed Venson. Before they can start making plans to treat the other prisoners, someone over the radio tells Dioza that McCreary has returned. Dioza is suddenly scared, and when Abby asks if everything's okay, Dioza says yes, but that it's a pity Abby hasn't found the cure yet. If Abby wants to keep getting her pills, she'll keep what she did to Vincent for her, to herself for now. Dioza then heads out to meet up with McCreary, and as his men cheer his return, Dioza and McCreary stare each other down. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. I do love how Dioza switches on a dime here. It's really smooth. Like, you can barely tell. But it seemed to me like she was all set to let Abby treat the rest of the prisoners until McCreary showed up, and then she was like, oh, wait, I need him to die. Yeah. Um, And it's just such a subtle shift in her body language and her, like, tone. Um, It's really subtle and I love that acting it's great it was great um I do think that you know maybe this is what Kane was referring to before but I still feel like he's just wrong because I would much rather have Dioza in charge than McCreary and we we know and Dioza knows that McCreary is biding his time until he can take control yeah um and once McCreary takes control we're done. everything is going to hell yeah because he's awful yeah yeah and this was just also, I felt, particularly cruel of Dioza to dangle Abby's pills like this. I mean, she had promised her, like, once you fix the prisoners, you get the pills. And obviously, like, it's in her best interest to continue to have Abby, you know, motivated. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. This felt, you could just see, like, Abby's devastation. Like, after all, like, after I just did this horrible thing to Raven and I'm still not off the leash well, yeah, and well, that and now she like officially has to break her doctor's oath. Yeah, like before, as you mentioned, at least you know her addiction and her doctor's oath were going hand in yeah, hand. Yeah, they were aligned, but now they're opposing, and yeah. she has to make another choice, and she chooses it's not the great. Pills. Um, I do think that there's also more to come with Vincent. I wasn't sure when we just saw him a few episodes ago. I wasn't sure if that was just like a one-off, like look at the scary prisoners we have. Um, but after he's been in this episode and and not you know, doing much, but mm-hmm. still being kind of a major presence. I, I still think that they, he's going to, you know, kind of come back maybe in a scarier way, maybe in like a more serial killer way. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen the like pretty good guy side to him. And now we need to see like the serial killer maybe side. Maybe he'll kill McCreary. Well, that would be like nice. That, that would, would be, be very useful. He, he can McCreary's do both. He can be feet. a nice serial killer. Like Dexter. <laughs> like Dexter. Yeah. <laughs> he uses his powers for good. Yeah. <laughs> Octavia and her lieutenants are doing their ritualistic passing of rations. Miller asks if Maddie is still part of her plan, and Octavia says that she's coming with them as planned, and they can deal with Maddie finding out about Clark's execution after the war is won. Bellamy interrupts, and Octavia lets him in, dismissing her lieutenants. On the way out, Bellamy grabs Miller, saying, So much for the hundred, but Octavia tells Miller to let it go before he can respond. And once they're gone, Octavia tells him not to threaten her people. 
Um, so lots of things already. But first off, Octavia, if she did execute Clark, the fact that she would like keep that from Maddie so she could use her and then, you know, tell her when she was no longer useful. Yeah. Just again, it's you are horrible. Really mean. It's <laughs> yeah. awful. And so manipulative. It's awful. I hate it. I hate it. Um, also, for the love of God, Octavia, Bellamy was not threatening Miller. Like, calm the F down. He was just making a comment. They've been friends for a really long time. He's allowed to talk to him. Oh, God. Agreed. It was weird. Um, I'm still, like, waiting to hear what Miller's deal is because yeah. I don't understand why he is behaving yeah, this way. Yeah, I saw someone post that online somewhere. I don't remember who it was. I'm sorry. Um, but they were just saying how disconnected they felt to Miller and – honestly like he's just this totally different person and I completely agree yeah I wish we got to spend more time with him and I hope we do by the end of the season I hope we do too um but now to the big point (laughs) can we agree that they're eating Cooper right now oh um I had no I did not think that until <laughs> you just said it. Uh, man, yeah, maybe. They, they've got to be, they right? Must like, be. That must be why they're together because they're not planning anymore. They're literally just eating yeah, together. Yeah, it's, it's just sort of like a, a memorial. I, they're eating Cooper. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I really, like, even in the show notes, I did not see this. I'm shocked. I can't, like, did not think about that at all until right now. that... Bellamy eats Cooper. Ew, ew, ew. <laughs> I mean, like, I almost threw up in my mouth, like, seven times watching this. It's disgusting. It is. And I hope that they reveal that specifically. I mean, if, <laughs> I will feel so bad if this isn't cannibalism. Because at this point, like, I feel like you and I talk about it as if it's already been confirmed. I feel like, I mean, I know it hasn't. It has but it not. Feels like it has. <laughs> but it feels like it, it has. It was like Clark and Bellamy so up until the this record, point. <laughs> for the record, we should just, we should just say it's not confirmed that this is cannibalism but we have a very very strong hunch i'm gonna talk about it like it's confirmed until it's unconfirmed (laughs) until it's confirmed opposite yeah okay um because they're eating people yeah that's just the way it is yeah they're too focused on these damn rations. The like camera like zooms yeah. in on the food, and it has this weird like jerky texture that reminds me of dried meat, which is a human. I mean, it's like, like I think like it's, human. it's literally like a soylent green where they've like probably mixed it with plants, yeah. um, or like some other things to kind right. of keep their rations going. Um, which is why like Lark and Bellamy aren't like, where did you get this meat? Because it's not quite meat, meat. but there no. is meat. But it's close in it. enough where yeah. it looks like it, and yeah. it's gross. Um, so ready for that? Gross. (laughs) Bellamy tells her he can't let her kill Clark, and Octavia rolls her eyes, noting that he's again pleading for the life of a traitor who he loves. (laughs) Bellamy doesn't take the bait, instead bringing up the memory of their mom and sharing their, of their mom and him sharing their rations with Octavia. When he asks to share her food, she makes him say the words, Amon Gonasan. He takes a bite and gives it back to her, and she eats the rest. Octavia tells him to get on with begging, but Bellamy says he's not here to beg. He just wants her to know that he will always love her. Suddenly, she starts choking, and we get the reveal that he dosed the food with Monty's algae. As she passes out, he repeats what we've heard so many times, my sister, my responsibility. So let's get into it. Oh, we got a lot. We got yeah. a lot to talk about in the scene. And um, I apologize for anybody who doesn't ship Bellark. You should just, this is the time. Just well, like fast I, forward a couple of. There's a difference between not shipping Bellark and not 
recognizing textual support. Yes, it. yes, and we will. Which get is what we're going this, to talk about. This is significant in that there's textual textual oh. evidence now. I just I've seen very many interpretations of the scene, um, and people tend to either lean like, "Oh my God, Bellamy is doing this for Clark, like this is breaking point," and then the other way is, "Oh my God, Bellamy just like." It's not about Clark. It's about like getting to the valley and getting to his people. I think it's both. I don't think that you can put a binary um, meaning on this um, scene. I think, you know, first and foremost, he doesn't want Clark to be executed, but he also knows that taking out Octavia is going to be what's best for everyone. It's the right thing to do. Um, And it's something he's been grappling with all episode long and it's what they should have done instead of killing Cooper and instead of going through all of these roundabout measures to disable the war effort they really should have just incapacitated Octavia to start with and that's something that Bellamy should have come to grips with earlier and it was the fact that Clark was being threatened that pushed him to this place so let's just like take this one step at a time let's do that um first and foremost I just want to get the bell arc of it kind of out of the way and out on the table (laughs) no pun intended um, I, I want to discuss what parts are romantic and directly relate to Bellamy's feelings for Clark and which parts aren't, um, because I think they're both. Right. But the one very clearly romantic canon thing is that Octavia knows and has always known that Bellamy is in love with Clark. Yes. He, it's, she's not saying this like, oh, this traitor who you love as like, you love her like a friend. He, she wouldn't have said that if it were Monty. She wouldn't have said that if it were Harper. It's directly comparing Clark to Echo, who he just, you know, begged for and and told her that he loved a couple of episodes ago. Yes. He is in love with Clark. He's been in love with Clark for a very long time, but I think he, you know, put those feelings aside once he thought she was dead and, and tried to move on from it. But you don't ever move on from losing someone in that sort of way. You don't really move on. And if they were to come back, I think those feelings are just going to come flooding back to you too, no matter yeah. how much you thought you'd gotten past them. Exactly. And it's in the, the they released the script for this, um, and the way that it's written out is, you know, pleading for the life of a traitor who you love. There is no ellipses. But the way that Marie delivers the line, there is a pause and an emphasis. And not just that, but the way that the director tweeted the line. Right. He emphasized it. And then Jason retweeted, retweeted that tweet. So the direction, and they hired this director specifically for this episode, it all works together to point to the fact that she's talking about this in a non-platonic, very romantic way. Yes. And then, you know, discussing the words from the script about Bellamy not taking the bait. Right. I think you had, like, something to say there in terms of what oh, that really Oh, yeah, means. yeah, sorry. Um, it just, there's, like, this idea where, like, if she, when she's, when she's saying that, you know, it's the idea, so, sorry, in the, in the script it says Bellamy doesn't take the bait. Um, and that implication is that this is some explicit emotion that Bellamy is not prepared to talk about yet. And if it was just about a friend, there's nothing explicit there's about no that. There's no baiting There's no baiting. If she were if talking she, about Monty, who you love, like, yes, yeah, he loves Monty. There's he's, nothing he's wrong. Not deba- he's, no one's denying that Clark loves Clark or that Bellamy loves Clark as like a friend as well. Yeah. He, in the same way that he loves Monty and he loves Harper right. and he loves they everyone all, they're else. family. That's not the question. That's not the issue. And the this, the writers would not have put the phrase doesn't take the bait unless they were implying there was something, an additional 
layer of of this that Bellamy can't talk about or is uncomfortable talking about. Not, not only, ready to talk not about. Not ready to talk about. Not only because he's in a relationship with another woman that he loves, but also because he hasn't talked about this with Clark. Yeah. He hasn't even uh, confessed to this to Clark. He's not ready to talk about this with Octavia of all people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did want to, this is the part where I did want to bring up a couple of notes that Iman wrote to us because they were so good. Um, I'm just going to read them verbatim. She says, the word traitor represents Clark as well as the banished Echo. We are able to understand that both women are put on the same level um, for Bellamy. Nevertheless, there is something incredibly different between those two relationships. And I think that's a really important um, revelation from this scene is that, yes, Octavia is making the comparison between the two of them. And in that comparison is implying that it's a romantic love. Um, but also knowing that the difference between his love for Echo is very different than his love for Clark. Um, and they, they accomplish so much with so little in this scene. Yeah, I mean, again, he had no romantic feelings toward Echo until after Clark was dead. Yeah. And I truly do believe that if Clark had been in space they would have gotten together oh. like it would have been ridiculous for Clark to be there with them and I think that's why they chose to separate them um, they had to for the writer's there's, room because there's no way they could have stayed in that tiny little space unit together and not had all of this develop mm-hmm. in order to keep the tension of the show and their ro- romance they had to separate them plus we would not have been happy with the romance that happened off screen <laughs> after everything totally. that we've been right, through but these are all of the things that we've been gaslighted to believe like we're making up in yeah. our head and now these we can use all of these points as textual evidence for this development um the other point that iman brought up in her email is this there is a great callback here um, to the t- episode, season two, episode five, where Octavia muttered, here's something I thought I'd never see when Bellamy and Clark hug for the first time. And it was such an emotional, significant hug. I mean, they were like full bodied, this yeah. th- like clinging for dear life hug. Well, it was the first moment they both realized how important they were to each other. And it was the first moment that Octavia noted yeah. how much Bell, how much Clark meant to Bellamy. And this now we've come full circle. And I really like that it's Octavia who's the one that verbalizes Finally this. verbalizes it. We've gotten a lot of like hints. nonverbal, like subtle hints. Like when um, Raven under the influence of Allie was like, oh, too bad you were never that devoted to Gina. Yeah. Um, or Murphy telling Bellamy like right. there's, I mean, there's n- someone a- here that you care about and I care about. There's been a lot of suggestions, but nothing explicit stated and this is the first time it has been stated out loud and I really appreciated that it's coming from Octavia yeah I agree she's been there since the beginning and and she knows it probably better than anyone except yeah. Clark and Bellamy yeah. well probably more because they've been denying their feelings for a long time yeah um so putting the the bell arc of this aside I wanted to also discuss the more the non-romantic implications of this scene starting with you know, Bellamy choosing to sacrifice Octavia. Um, I saw a lot of people, you know, say, oh, it's because of Clark that he's doing this. But I honestly believe in the same way that I believed back in season uh, four, when Clark was deciding whether or not to shoot Bellamy to keep him from opening the bunker door, that had any of her friends been in that position, she would have come to the same, you know, conclusion of like, I can't shoot them. I can't do this. Yeah. Um, and in the same way that I think if Bellamy, if like, if Monty were the, the traitor, right. if Harper were the traitor, I, I think Bellamy me would still have the same realization of like I have to take out Octavia for yeah. everyone's sake right I don't I don't think that's just romantic there is a level of familial love mm-hmm. and 
and shared experiences with these people, any of them, that would have forced him to do this too. And also Bellamy is very, very dedicated to getting to the valley and saving his friends. Yeah. Um, and this kind of, he, he's reached the conclusion that this is how they have to do it because Clark's plan very much failed. Yeah, <laughs> so. I agree. I also really liked all of the times that they peppered in all of the algae references yeah. throughout the episode and then like as foreshadowing and then for them to like have that fully realized with him poisoning Octavio with it was just really smart and interesting. I liked it. Well, and what was great is yes, they peppered it with this episode. Um, but if it had just been in this episode, it would have felt a little bit plot devicey to me. Right. But the fact that they have been talking about it all season, um, really did, you know, make this feel like it was coming to completion of a plan they've been thinking about for a long time. Right. Like the writers have planned this out and they've executed it really well throughout the season. Yeah. Uh, so as we see here, Bellamy takes out Octavia. So it really was Bellamy with the like A2 Brute, you know, A2 Brote, yeah. shall I say, yeah. uh, moment. Um, I know we kind of, we're not sure who it would be, but I think this makes it clear that Bellamy was the one who was always going to betray Octavia. Um, and I think this probably will be like the betrayal of the season. I don't feel like we're going to get another betrayal on top of this. I mean... I wouldn't put it past them. Not, not, not in the same capacity of like betraying no, Octavia. I don't role think so. As, I as feel leader. like this is, this was epic. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but seeing Bellamy like physically restrain Octavia as she was passing out and like trying to call for help was really shocking. And it was a level of physicality that we've never seen from Bellamy directed toward Octavia. You know, Octavia has always been kind of violent toward Bellamy. Um, you know, she even beat him up once. Yeah. But he has never raised a hand against her and not no. that he's like hitting her here or anything but just like no just the physical like grabbing her in that way and covering her mouth was yeah. really invasive and scary um in and a he way he hated himself for doing oh, it yeah too. no i'm not saying that he liked himself yeah. for it it was just shocking to see him behave like that um making that choice but that said it really was nice to see bellamy finally decide that enough was enough as far as octavia was concerned you know he's let her walk all over him for four seasons now uh going on a fifth and finally he's just like this has needs to, to end this has to stop i agree it was really cathartic you know he's he's always protected octavia but now he has to protect everyone else from octavia he has to protect them from what she's become agreed um you know, my sister, my responsibility and the way that they twisted that line to mean, you know, this, this new meaning of like him taking out Octavia for everyone else's own good right. is and just really, really tragic. You know, Jace, like we talked about earlier, Jason's always like, this is a tragedy. And this is the first moment that's really made me feel like their relationship truly is a tragedy. It is. It's tragic. And it, they never had a chance. I mean, like, I think you and I say this about Octavia all the time, but the poor girl never had a chance. She no. will never be okay there's just so much anger and so much hurt in her and I think she's had opportunities to turn herself around but she hasn't really ever had the tools to like deal with her emotions and so that kind of just leads to her not being able to turn herself around you know there there's no therapists down here on earth at this point in time it's unfortunately the there's no psychologists um I wish there had a I wish, there, I wish was. there was because I think a lot of characters past and present need, need one them. <laughs> Um, but that was the scene overall. 
I'm a little confused about what Bellamy's plan is, like what he's going to do now that Octavia is knocked out. Like, does he just think that her guards are going to be like, oh, that's so weird. I yeah. wonder, you know, I mean, I feel like they've spent this whole season establishing that her people are so loyal to her. They would do anything for her. So I don't see how incapacitating Octavia, I mean, like, I think it's a great first step. Definitely yeah. need to do that. But I need to know, like, what what is next in your plan? And do does he think that they won't march without Octavia? Because I'm, I feel like if she were to die, they would still kind of move forward with her plan. Well, if she were to die, I wonder who, like, the next leader would be and if they even have a precedence in place for who would take over. I honestly don't know. Yeah. Um, but this scene, I think, very much signifies a resurrection of sorts for Octavia. Um, we, we know she's not going to die. Like, let's be real. She'll, you know, come out of her coma and probably be worse than ever, worse than ever, which is really my question is in doing this in betraying her in this way, did Bellamy kill the last bit of love that she had in her for him? Like when she wakes up, is she fully going to be blood now in a way that she wasn't quite before? Wouldn't it be a twist if she woke up and was like, Oh my God, your like beha- your actions like shocked me into realizing all of the horrible things that I've done, and now I've like come to appreciate you. <laughs> That's sweet. Wrong what show. show are we Wrong watching? Show, but <laughs> no, I, I actually think you're right. I think there is a lot of symbolism here, um, and I I do feel like she's gonna be off the deep end when she comes back. Yeah, I mean, given that this betrayal happened in episode eight and not episode like eleven, makes me feel more strongly that she's going to die this season. Because I think if it had happened later on in the season, I could have seen her kind of like coming around to it. Um, but that, given that it's happening with so much time left, it definitely feels like she's going to get worse and worse until like there's, you until have you to, have to take her out. Her. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's where like the Indra comes into it. Maybe. Oh God. Oh my God. If Indra and Bellamy both had to like, that's what take I'm saying. her out in different ways this season they're the only two who would yeah. protect her from anything but now they have to protect her from herself so I feel it's like that would be poetic it's devastating it would be really bad <laughs> um last note on this scene that we have now discussed ad nauseum um I did want to talk about the importance and the significance of the food in this scene and how Octavia sort of looks at the f- the food slash people that she's eating um and <laughs> Cooper looks like yeah, Cooper. <laughs> yeah it looks like Cooper you know there is this you know sort of reverence that she has for the food and the bars that that you know Bellamy wants to share with her and he you know they sort of use that that against her 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 devotion to her rituals her devotion to one crew is the thing in the end that gets to her is because she is there are certain habits that she will not sacrifice and Bellamy knows this and uses it against her and I think that's really interesting. Well yeah and I also like that she you know Bellamy's trying to kind of bring up their past as a way to kind of lure out the person who's his sister and not Bloodrena and she shuts it down like you know the second he starts you know going down memory lane she brings it right back to one crew right um because she can't let herself go there right she has to be this person in this she has to be this quote-unquote strong or the way that she thinks is strength is strength um so yeah so that was a biggie a doozy of an episode it was it was a lot um couple of discussion points we want to talk about to wrap up this whole thing um new 
new section, we're going to talk a little bit about the title and the references we see it um, displayed throughout the episode. I feel like their how we get to peace was particularly obvious in this. I mean, they they had two main characters actually say it out loud. Yeah, you know, almost back to back. Um, so I don't want to spend too much time on that because I feel like we've already touched on it a lot but I did want to talk a little bit about how how we get to peace you know there is like the macro kind of idea of this and peace as like in war Mm -hmm. but also like just the peace on an interpersonal level like the micro version of how we get to peace we saw a lot of pairings in this um, episode of people who are usually really compatible with each other fighting. We saw Kane and Dioza. We saw Zeke and Raven, who I know that they're not like a couple couple, but they are a pairing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Murphy, and Murphy, Murphy and Amori, <laughs> and then Bellamy and Octavia. And I think um, seeing how, seeing all the sacrifices that each of these individuals have to take in order for the, to sacrifice either each other or make sacrifices for their relationship with each other in order to, um, in order for the greater good to happen um, was really interesting and a and a s- more subtle interpretation of the title. I totally agree. Um, and I, I like the different ways they played this out. Yeah. Um, I, I really loved, you know, Octavia and Bellamy and Bellamy having to sacrifice her for how we get to peace. And not just that, but Bellamy using the algae as uh, we, we knew originally this, t- this book or this um, episode was secretly called secret weapon or like fakely called secret weapon and the fact that that kind of plays in with the algae and how the algae was used um is really interesting uh and i like that the algae which has come to stand for peace literally like monty's peace peace um, is used as a way to hurt someone but still in the road to getting actual peace yeah totally it's great so let's talk about our favorite lines um note that Neither of us are allowed to ta- to use um, the, the who you love who line. You love. I do. Th- I I don't think that's my favorite line, in the sense of like the line in and of itself. But it it was very cathartic. It for was me. a big line. Yeah. It was an important line. But anyway, it's not eligible. Yeah. So I outside of that, what was your favorite line? My favorite line was "My sister, my responsibility," because that's something that's kind of it's been a line that's been repeated a lot and has irritated me because I don't like that Bellamy kind of felt that way, like that kind of proprietary way and that he was kind of forced into this role. Mm -hmm. Um, But damn, the way that they twisted it in this episode broke my heart. It was Um, great. And it was like a brilliant line and a brilliant time to say it at that, you know, exact moment. And the way that Bob Morley delivered it it, was perfect. And it encompassed all of these emotions and all of the meanings that he's used it and and why it was so tragic it was just unbelievable to me that the writers were able to like bring back this line that got so stale and give it new life (laughs) yeah no it's true it was amazing um my favorite line was the the line that raven said have you ever loved someone so much that no matter what they do to you or themselves you take it i just felt like every once in a while i think there was another uh, moment in this season earlier than Amori said something where I just felt like the writers are just like speaking truth like it just it's it was a moment outside of the show outside of the characters it just felt like this little golden nugget um and I I love how dedicated the writers are to taking these emotional arcs and 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 the bravery to like go to these places that are dark and scary, not just for the sake of plot, but for the character development. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important and really beautiful and heartbreaking. And I loved it. I agree. 
What was your favorite scene? Uh, my favorite scene was the last scene for like <laughs> all the reasons, you know, the Bellarg of it all, the uh, the Blake sibling of it all, just the Cooper of it all. <laughs> I, I I loved I loved everything about it. Yeah, it was a fantastic scene, um, and just to 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 not you know duplicate that, um, I'm gonna pick the Raven and Zeke scene as well when they were talking about Abby and Raven's mom and I just thought it was beautiful for all of the reasons that I just said (laughs) but uh runner-up for me was Kane talking about the potential that he sees in the valley and Dioza kind of coming under that spell and realizing that there is still hope for the future (laughs) yeah it was beautiful hope for the future yeah hitting that you know right on the head head. (laughs) um but overall like this episode had so many great scenes that it was really hard it was really hard to pick it was a great episode. Yeah. Let's talk about so, next week. So, yeah, let's preview next week's episode. Actually, it's two weeks from now. We are skipping a week. Um, we're off for the fourth or the day of the third, I guess. Yeah. And then it's going to be back on on the 10th. Um, episode five or not, uh, 509 titled Six Emperor Tyrannus. The official synopsis reads, the growing fractures in one crew threaten to explode once and for all. Meanwhile, in Shallow Valley, Murphy starts a fire, unleashing catastrophic results. So a couple wow. things here. First yeah. off. Why is Murphy starting fires? Because he can't help himself. <laughs> but like, I, I kind of like thought at first when I heard this um, synopsis that he was like going to try to destroy the worms, like they would have released the worms. But I don't think that that will be the case, given that Octavia will be in a coma next episode. So I honestly like don't know what Murphy's doing. I don't know either. Um, second, as we see in the promo, Nyla is back and she's by Octavia's bedside. Like, what are they trying to tell us? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But I'm very excited. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then on our last note, unfortunately, we're going to have to do this again. Britt and I will definitely be late on about the next three podcasts. Maybe more. Hopefully not more. We're going to try our best to like knock them out as soon really, as possible. Really, really try. But we won't see each other for the next three weeks. Um, I'm going on vacation. You're going on vacation. You're doing a work trip. So we won't be together, unfortunately, yeah. to podcast. We're not going to be together until the end of July, basically. But we will rush to catch up as fast as we can. Um, I definitely, you know, I don't want the last episode of this to be late. No, I don't um, either. So we're going to just try to, like, get as much done as possible once we're back together. But no promises for anything. No. That is our episode. Um, if you would like to get in contact with us, you can. You can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That's S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T-K-R-U at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at skycast. You can tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I am at bperlman89. And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. So thank you for joining us as always on Skycast. We will be back in a few weeks. But until then, bye-bye. May we meet again? Bye.